This is Jeremy Bassetti, and you're listening to Travel Writing World, a podcast featuring interviews with travel writers about their work and about the business and craft of travel writing. You can find the episode show notes, free travel writing resources, and much more at travelwritingworld.com. Everyone, hello. This is episode 102 of the Travel Writing World podcast. Joining me today is Leon McCarran, and we're talking about his new book, Wounded Tigris, which recounts Leon's journey along the Tigris River from the source to the sea, from the Taurus Mountains in Turkey into the Persian Gulf. We talk about some of the challenges the Tigris faces and how they impact the communities that rely on the river. We also talk about slowing down and forging connections while working on travel-related projects. I think you'll find the interview fascinating and insightful on a number of fronts. As ever, links are in the show notes at TravelWritingWorld.com, where you'll also find more interviews and other goodies. If you enjoy what we're doing here, please consider supporting the show with only a few dollars, pounds, or euro a month at travelwritingworld.com forward slash support. Before we start, excuse me, before we start the interview today, I just want to give a little update on my new project, The Hill of the Skull. All is going well, but I've decided to push back the launch by a few months, just so I can be sure to get everything dialed in. Kickstarting and essentially independently publishing a book is a huge task, and I wanted to make sure that everything is right. Uh, at the moment, I'm I'm editing the kind of narrative section of the book, the story section, and when that's done, I'll turn my attention to the photographs yet again uh, and give them another another pass or another look. It's an it's a it's a cycle. It's an ongoing thing. The book currently has around forty or fifty photographs, and the travel memoir section is at about seven thousand words. So sign up to get notified when the Kickstarter campaign goes live, when it launches. You can sign up at travelwritingworld.com forward slash skull, S-K-U-L-L. Now, here is Leon McCarran. Welcome to the podcast, Leon. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So where in the world do we find you today? Well, normally I'm in Erbil, um, a city in the Kurdistan region of Iraq. Um, But this week I'm actually in Turkey, not that far from the border with Iraq, but I've come here to uh, get away from the city and do a little bit of writing. Very good. And yeah, so your book um, starts in Turkey, uh, coincidentally. And so maybe we can uh, dive into that. Your your latest book, Wounded Tigris, charts uh, your expedition. Uh, along the length of the Tigris River from source to sea, which I, I believe begins in, in Turkey and ends in, in, in at the edge of Iraq, basically. Um, yeah, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, the river begins in uh, the headwaters are in the, the Taurus Mountains, about uh, 150 kilometers or just over uh, just under 100 miles north of the city of Diyarbakir. And then they run down through that city, through the mountains, out into the foothills, they cross briefly into northeast Syria. The river crosses briefly into northeast Syria, and then down through in a, in a pretty straight line, heading 
southeast through Iraq, through the cities of Mosul and um, Tikrit and Samarra and Baghdad, of course, and then down to Basra and to the Gulf. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the Tigris we often hear um, with the other mighty river of, of the region, the Euphrates. Um, and, you know, these are kind of iconic rivers. We, we learn about them in grade school, you know, the cradle of civilization, Mesopotamia, all of that. Um, but just to kick things off, um, maybe, uh, maybe you could start by telling me about the expedition itself and what compelled you to undertake it. Sure. So you're absolutely right. These are, these are two of the great rivers of civilization. And I'm actually curious to hear you say that you learn about them in grade school, because my experience was that I didn't learn about these at school. I'm from rural Northern Ireland. So, you know, we, <laughs> maybe that's part of it, but mm-hmm. it also seems like a, a lot of people I speak to from Europe, from North America, um, we're aware of these rivers, but we don't know that much more about them other than that they have some sort of important part of the shared global heritage. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so um, I've been working in the Middle East for you know nearly a decade now, writing and, and doing various other things in this region. And I first came to Iraq in 2016. Um, and I came here initially as a journalist. I was planning to uh, write a story about a, a town called Karakosh, which is on the outskirts of the city of Mosul. And at the time, um, ISIS still controlled the city of Mosul and the, the coalition effort to, to liberate the city had just got underway. So um, for a couple of days, I tried my hand at that type of journalism, which, as you can imagine, is, is pretty terrifying and requires mm-hmm. a certain type of person not just to be able to do it, but to be able to do it well, to be able to have anything meaningful to say, let alone to, to be safe. And and I didn't feel like that was me. So I, I came out of that pretty chastened um, and came back to Erbil and, and met a, a, a lovely young Syrian Kurdish guy called Lawin Muhammad, who told me that I should um, you know, make a happier memory of this region. If I was going to leave, I should have a memory other than war because there's so much other than war that defines it. And he took me to the mountains. <clears throat> And um, and it was beautiful, and and it really made an impact on me. And it started two things. It 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 started a, a, a my other parallel project, which has been to create a long distance walking trail through the mountains of the Kurdistan region of Iraq. But also, it encouraged me to 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 spend more time there, and eventually in 2019 to move there. Um, and once I'd moved there, and I was committing, you know, a number of years of my life to. Iraq and to this hiking trail project and to trying to understand the country, I realized that all of the important places historically within that country and within that whole region, they were they were fastened along these two rivers. And, and the Euphrates also starts in Turkey, but spends much of its life in Syria before it crosses into Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I feel like the, the heart of the Euphrates story happens in Syria. Um, but the heart of the Tigris is in Iraq, and this was my new home. And so um, over the course of a few years, the more I traveled throughout the rest of Iraq, not just the north, uh, I, I realized that this river had so much along it. And, and you know, this is the river where the earliest civilizations on Earth um, came from. This is where our, our ancestors came from the caves in the mountains down to the fertile floodplain and started to work with the river to create these irrigation channels and to 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 collect together for the first time in groups and form the earliest societies. It's where the first written word 
um, came to be. It's where the first codified legal systems um, came into being. It, it's where beer brewing and mm. sailing boats and love songs all um, came into our world. And so it seemed like something that I wanted to understand more of and something that maybe with the recent history of Iraq and of the wider region, um, many of us haven't had a chance to learn or have forgotten about. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, you mentioned a writer slash archaeologist um, somewhere in the book, I believe, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Kramer. And he has this wonderful book, um, which I think you 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 cite. It's um, I think it's called The Sumerians. He wrote a number of books on this region, but I think it was called Sumerians, you know, the world's first or something, where he charts many of these things that you talk about as this is the area where we have the first wheel, the first schools, the first, you know, basically the first everything. <laughs> so it's a very important uh, world um, historical region, as, as you note. But why, um, what, what, drew you to the Tigris over, over the Euphrates? I think it was just that um, Iraq as a country was, had become my home and, and I was under no illusions that I was always going to be an outsider there. You know, I'm, I'm always going to be an Irishman wherever I go in the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. But um, I, I wanted to, I, I felt a, a responsibility in a good way to, 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 to try and tell the story of, of that country um, <clears throat> and to fill in the gaps that get missed in the, the news cycle. You know, the, I, from a distance, I felt like I knew a reasonable amount about Iraq because I'd followed the, the story of its recent history of the Iran-Iraq war and the Gulf Wars and sanctions and the 2003 invasion and Al-Qaeda and ISIS. And, but, you know, that, that, that doesn't tell the whole story. There's, there's a whole world um, in those spaces in between. So. I wanted to fill those in, and, and the Euphrates um, tells, I believe, the, the story very much of Syria. And I see. you know, someday I hope someone does that. It it, it may not be me, but um, but the Tigris felt like a story that I could tell and was well placed to do so. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned earlier, you know, the Tigris runs through Turkey, and I'm not sure if it actually, um, you know, to what extent it's like the border between Syria and Turkey, or Syria and Iraq. Is that right? Yeah, it's 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 only for about twenty miles. Okay. It, it forms a kind of tri-border first, initially with Syria and Turkey, and then with Syria and Turkey and Iraq. So it's about twenty miles that it crosses through the northeast of Syria. Okay, and then after a lengthy course through Iraq, it also forms the border between Iraq and and Iran. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. On the on the southern edge, it, it forms this this um, you know super highway of a river where the Tigris and Euphrates joined together at a time called Kurna. Um, and then the Karun comes in from Iran and, and together all three rivers flow out to the Gulf. Mm -hmm. It seems like, you know, the the river is not just hugely important to Iraq, but also in a geopolitical sense. So I, I was wondering if maybe you could comment on on the the importance of the river from a geopolitical perspective or maybe, you know, in terms of like agriculture, border disputes, oil, like how how important is this region? or this river um, for geopolitical issues, not just kind of regional issues? Yeah, this, I mean, this, this river is, is the lifeblood of Iraq. Um, the two rivers are, but particularly this one. There are over 30 million people who live in the watershed of the Tigris, and they rely very much on its waters. And um, it's, it's essential for, for, the, for a sustainable 
um, life within the country and for people mm-hmm. to to uphold the the traditions and lifestyles that they've had for many hundreds or thousands of years. Uh, and it's it's um, undergoing a, a you know the, the biggest threat in its history um, right now. The the Turkish government have built a series of dams on the headwaters, and uh, you know the we talk about a a changing climate all over the world, but you feel it much more acutely in in regions like this than you do in other parts of the world. Um, and so we see the effects of this of of erratic weather patterns and increased desertification and drought in the southern reaches and and you see that in Turkey and you see that in Iraq and you see that in Syria. And so these dams that the Turkish government are building are holding back more water and in the absence uh, than they, than they've done before and in the absence of any functioning um, multilateral water agreements that's able to happen. And so, you know, every that's year that passes, Syria and Iraq see um, a decreased flow of water into the country. And, and that is all sorts of um, implications for the people. Now, within Iraq too, there's there's been terrible governance. Um, you know, the, Iraq is a, is a, um, is a horrendously uh, corrupt country and, and, um, the governance, the the infrastructure for uh, water is is really poor. So a lot of water is lost and mismanaged in that way too. But um, it's it's a real uh, you know we're at a critical point in the story of the Tigris River, which is for you know sixteen or seventeen thousand years been in existence. Um, and what happens in the next ten years may well decide its future and and the future of all those who live along its banks and in its watershed. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you you brought up the dams. Um, because um, I, I don't know if if I've presented this uh, clearly, but you you attempt to go from the source to the sea along the Tigris on boat, <laughs> right? Um, but that doesn't always play out that well. And I, I get the sense that many people along that route advised you against the hazards of going off onto the water because of like militants or fighters or you know that personal danger. Uh, and I don't mean to downplay that, but it seems that you know, the biggest hazard on the water were like the dams and the industrial and the mining operations. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I, th- I think that that probably is fair. I mean, I think it's also fair to say that um, I suspect I'd be hard pushed to find a more challenging river to make a journey along <laughs> by boat. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad we did this. I feel it's an important story to tell, but I, I certainly wouldn't want to do it again in the style that we did it. And we did it as a small team. We had um, a couple of internationals and a couple of um, local companions. And my idea was always to try and tell the story of the river through their eyes and through their experiences. Mm-hmm. People who are, you know, much more tightly bound to this river than than I'll ever be. Um, and we did have all sorts of challenges. You know, this is not the river of um, the Assyrians of three to 5,000 years ago when, when people traveled easily from one end to the other. And it's not the river even from the Ottoman Empire when uh, when wooden rafts went from Diyarbakir to Mosul, carrying um, goods from the north, and were then broken down and and you know carried along the banks back upstream, it is fragmented and it is divided, and um, it's an incredibly challenging river to to move along for all sorts of reasons. And the the dams are, are a big part of that. Um, the way in which the river has been abused and been industrialized is another part of that. And of course, those in charge of of all of those um enterprises don't particularly want uh journalists in boats coming right. along the river <laughs> to try and tell its story so we um 
you know, we were in the unusual uh, position of of being relatively unpopular with uh, with a number of people when we turned up on the river, and then that that of course being contrasted with the the great hospitality you find as soon as you step into um, any other village that doesn't have a, a kind of financial interest in the river. Mm-hmm. You'd mentioned, you know, conveying the stories of the people who are impacted by, you know, the consequences of the politics and the industry on the river. And later in the book, you visit the the marshes in the southern part of, of Iraq, and there seems to be some issues with contamination and pollution uh, down there. So I was wondering if you could maybe uh, illuminate a little bit more, you know, what are the, the downstream, very serious environmental impacts uh, that political and industrial interests are um, kind of doing to, to, to the region? Yeah, of course. I mean, so <clears throat> the, 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 the marshlands, the wetlands of, of southern Iraq are one of those remarkable areas of biodiversity in the Middle East and, you know, I believe much beyond that as well. Um, they're not just incredibly beautiful, but they're, they're a very important habitat for a number of um, bird and fish species. And um, they're also the home to the marsh Arabs who've lived a, a very unique culture and a very unique um, lifestyle in the marshes for many hundreds or thousands of years. Uh, and they've, They've had a troubled recent history. Um, Saddam Hussein drained the marshes in the the eighties and nineties because they were they became a, or at least he believed they became a, a hiding place for hiding place for revolutionaries um, during the Iran Iraq War and, and afterwards. So he he drained them and and turned it into an area where he could transport his military hardware towards the border with Iran. And although they were reflooded in two thousand and three. Um, you know, it's very hard to bring back um, an environment like that. And there's been a number of organizations and people locally who've been championing the marshes since that time. But they are, they need a reliable uh, water flow for a start. And uh, as I said earlier, that's been challenged by these dams and by the poor governance within the country. Um, also dams in Iran on some of the tributaries that flow into the marshes. Um, there is. You, you know, just a, a, an unbelievable amount of pollution in this river, untreated waste um, from from power plants, from major cities, from um, agricultural areas, just flowing um, at will into the river from the, the north to the south. And so, so this is causing um, the the water to become toxic, uh, full of heavy metals, and and very hard for people in areas like the marshes to use to survive, to feed, uh, or not, not just for themselves, but for their water buffalo and, and the other um, the other elements that they rely on for their lifestyle. And, and you also have increased salinity too when you get that close to the Gulf because the the, the salt water um, right. from the Gulf starts to, to come to push back upstream because the flow of the water is so low. So you, all of these elements have combined to make this unique way of life in the marshes um, to put it at, on a real precipice, and um, you know, within the next five to ten years, it, it may no longer be viable unless something changes dramatically. Right. I'm glad that you you brought up the the marsh Arabs um, because it seems that you know your book references uh, Wilfred Thesiger 
and his writing and his work uh, quite a bit, uh, if not um, directly, but in spirit, I, I think. Um, I, I think reading your book is a little like reading some of his books, um, you know, The Marsh Arabs and uh, the, the Empty Quarter book, in that like the, the narrative of the book doesn't present us, and I think listeners will be able to pick up on this, is that you know, the, the narrative of your book doesn't present us with this like, self-centered kind of Westerner traveling through exploited lands, you know. Um, it presents us with something a little bit different, like a narrative of connection, of understanding, of of friendship. And I think your book um, shares with Thesiger's books, uh, you know, that, that very important uh, quality. Um, and, and that's a good thing, I, I think, and it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to read. Um, this is something that comes up in your book quite a bit. You, you, you note that um, you're bad at connecting with people. Um, compared to others, and particularly compared to your your partner, your travel partner, and your l- partner in life, Emily Garthwaite, the pho- wonderful photographer, by the way. Um, but you say that she is quite good at making friends and making people feel at ease, whereas you, on the other hand, <laughs> have a, a little bit of difficulty with that. But <laughs> there's this scene in the book um, where you approach an armed militiaman or a soldier. I think it's near Mosul that that kind of segment of the journey and you had a phrase book in your hand um i think of uh, um, the iraqi dialect phrase book or something and you're interested in asking the soldier if there's a book do you, do you recall this moment i do yeah yeah I do. why don't you um tell us the story because i think it's a good one in terms of you know illustrating this idea about connection and and friendship yeah sure sure uh, i mean i was i was really lucky to travel with Emily, who I, who I think is really wonderful at, um, you know, immediately being able to connect with people. She's very smiley, very um, happy, and 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 kind of people warm to her immediately. And also with our our, our local colleagues in and companions in Iraq, Salman and Hannah, um, who are very similar. And I, you know, I kind of always I I, I always feel like um, I'm more of a slow burn when I meet people. Yeah. I, I'm I eventually over the course of the night really love getting to know people and um but you know maybe i'm a bit more quiet or reserved than some of the other people on our team um but yeah i had this i i i've been studying arabic for a couple of years and i've, I've been learning the the syrian dialect of arabic um and you know learning a language like arabic is a is a, a lifelong endeavor um but i could i could chat away to people um but i, I picked up this phrase book in the iraqi dialect which is significantly different and I hadn't really looked at it too much um, until this point, and, and I approached this militiaman who was, uh, you know, from a um, from a group that was controlling access to the river, um, and actually from a from a group that was um, uh, pretty problematic. And you know, the the we probably don't have time to go into the the ins and outs of of um, the militia units within Iraq, but you know, broadly they were. These are groups that were that were brought together to help defeat ISIS, um, but have since become, you know, since stuck around. And the, the challenge now is how to integrate them into the Iraqi mm. security forces, and um, and they have quite a lot of control and, and operate, you know, relatively independently from the federal government. And some of them are funded directly by Iran, or you know, they're Iranian-backed organizations. And, and this group was actually designated as a terrorist organization by the by the U.S. government, wow. um, and and so. They control the checkpoint, so we have to, we you have to 
meet with them as you go through, but I was kind of a little bit nervous and um, we had to wait around. So I was trying to chat to him and I had this phrase book, but I, I hadn't realized that this phrase book was published in 2004, um, immediately after the, uh, the, the US and UK led invasion. And so the, the phrases that I was looking for um, in the dialect of things like, you know, um, where do your family live? And uh, what do you, you know, general kind of chit chats? Are there any boats around here? Tell me about the history of the river, those kind of things. Um, those were non-existent. It was more things like, tell me where the looters and the saboteurs are, and, <laughs> um, you know, kind of put, put your hands in your head and, and get out of the building. Uh, none of which were things I was prepared to say to a, um, a large member of the militia with a, um, an even larger gun. So, <laughs> so instead, I, I quickly relegated the book back into my backpack and stuck to my guns with my Syrian dialect. And I think we ended up talking about Scottish football players. Um, soccer players, which is a, a much better way of connecting. Right. And it's, a, it's, and, and it's a connection. Like I could imagine that many people, um, well, especially going to Iraq would be an intimidated in a situation like that with an armed guard. And yet, um, you know, there's that kind of that hand being reached out in, in terms of trying to strike a conversation and trying to engage on a level uh, that mm-hmm. is not that common, I, w- I w- would say, especially for 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 travelers, and and I would imagine in that region. Um, earlier, you mentioned something about you're more of a slow burn uh, when when compared to perhaps Emily in the way that she she deals with uh, people. <clears throat> but I wanted to kind of you know double click on this idea of slow burn because. Um, you know, earlier in the book, you mentioned something about like wandering around from place to place and that you, you felt, you know, jaded and, um, you know, unsure if you were able to really say anything meaningful about exploration or about travel or about adventure. I know those are kind of weird terms nowadays, but, um, you know, you, you, you consider about like staying put in, in a place and like immersing yourself in a place and, and the effect that that has on, and like storytelling and writing and creativity. So I was wondering if you could, I don't know, just riff on this and, and make a comment on, you know, how, how has slowing down affected uh, your ideas about creativity, about writing, about travel, about journalism? How has slowing down changed your, your ideas of process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting thing to think on. I suppose you know the irony for me was that I've always been interested in slow travel and slow journalism. I've always wanted to to move at at a a slow pace on a bicycle or on foot or occasionally by by kayak because I like the immersive nature because I like the connection that it forces. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to travel in a way that encourages me to meet people and stay with people so I can learn about those places. Pulling, um, pulling and a so cart. I've always valued that. I'm sorry, uh, pulling a cart with Alistair. <laughs> yes, pulling a cart. Yeah, that some of the journeys have been, you know, more ill-advised than others. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that one certainly had a novelty value of, of pulling a, a kind of five or six hundred pound cart through the empty quarter desert for five or six months. Um, I think my main connection in that trip was with uh, muscles in my back that I'd never <laughs> heard of before. Um, but you know, it, it's 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 true that that journey in itself taught me, you know, if you slow your pace through a desert, you realize that a desert is not, um, 
it's not all the same. And of course, that's a very simple thing to say from a distance, but you really sense how it changes, how each part of the desert is different from another and how people would have survived there for centuries and so on. Um, and But but I, I suppose the strange thing for me was I, I always felt like I was moving slowly, but I was also, I was moving from one slow journey to another without a lot of space in between. And um, if you do that for enough time, and I did that for, you know, seven, eight, nine years, you do start to get burned out. And, and I didn't feel like I was, um, I, I could still speak to the places I was traveling through and, and try to represent those that I met. But I, I wasn't developing any sort of expertise or any depth or any specializations in those places. And I think that's, you know, the other thing that happened to me when I when I came to Erbil for the first time in 2016 was, and went to the mountains with Lawin was, there was a part of me that I was also yearning to put down some roots and to stay put a little bit more. Um, and so those two things came together and and this became my home and uh, Emily and I moved here in, in 2019. Um, and I guess, you know, it, I've, I've really enjoyed being in one place since that time. And, and I said it before, and I think it's always important to remember that that I am an outsider. I, I will never be, I will never have a, the depth of knowledge that someone born within Iraq, for example, would have. Um, but I, I can, I can, you know, reach this sort of interesting um, liminal space as a as a rider, where I do have more of a depth of knowledge. Um, I do feel comfortable traveling through the country. I've done it a lot before. I'm, I'm not necessarily threatened by, um, you know, a, a militia on checkpoint because I, I I've been there before and I know what it is and how it operates. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm in a better position to try and speak to the people who might run that checkpoint and understand why they're there. Um, and that can go hand in hand with the the sort of primary ambition of my book and of this journey, which was to use my platform and my privilege as someone who could travel the length of this river, or at least attempt it, um, but to use the the voices and the experiences of people like Salman and Hannah in Iraq, um, who are young Iraqis, environmentalists, activists, want to make the country that they live in better for themselves and for their for the next generation um and to to travel with them and to see what they see and to write about how they feel about it alongside my own um impressions so so that's kind of what i was i was trying to do and it, it did it has felt you know really rewarding to have spent a number of years somewhere now and uh, and i see that in contrast to some of the the journeys um i made in the past where um, I may have spent six months or a year traveling in that place to to write about it, but it's it's still not the same depth of understanding. Mm -hmm. I want to um, end the, the the conversation um, ask by asking you a question that you actually asked yourself at the beginning of the book, or at least you asked yourself this rhetor rhetorically. Um, but you you asked, what would it mean for humanity to lose one of the great rivers of civilization so more broadly you know what would it mean for the tigers to to dry up well i i think that's that's uh that's the crucial question and i suppose i have i have a number of different answers to it um in in different themes but i i, I guess what i take away from it is of course it is it would be a death sentence for so many people who live along the river and for 
the the cultures and societies and civilizations that have that have grown on the banks of the river. But I also think more broadly, um, if if we can do this as a species, if if we can fill one of these great rivers of civilization in the very place where water management itself was pioneered, um, and if we can do it through through the greed and, and carelessness of of mankind, then we're capable of doing that anywhere. And I think that should be a a real warning for us, and we see it happening elsewhere in the world too. And um, the 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 impacts of of climate change and of some of the other factors in the Tigris they're 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 more clearly defined in that region because of the nature of the landscape and because of the nature of the history of the, of the place. But the same things could happen elsewhere. So I think it's 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 critical for the region. It's critical for Iraq and for Syria and Turkey and for um, everyone along the river, but more broadly, it's also, I think, a warning to us all. Um, and we, we're not short of uh, stark warnings at this point in time of, of what we're doing to our planet, but this is another one. Um, and so I wanted to, I wanted the book alongside the specifics of the place I passed through. I wanted also to, to be a more broad call to arms in that sense. Yeah, well, I think uh, mission accomplished uh, there. So Leon, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and for writing this uh, wonderful, wonderful book of yours. Can you let us know where uh, we can find you online? And I know you mentioned earlier in the episode something about the long distance trail. And I've been find I've been following the Zargos Mountain Trail Instagram account. So uh, plug that, please, because I think that's just a wonderful initiative as well. Yeah, of course. Well, well, thank you. I mean, it's been a real pleasure to be here. Um, it's a, it's a real privilege to. To speak to you on, on all of these things. Um, and for anyone who wants to, to read the book, uh, it's called Wounded Tigris, A River Journey Through the Cradle of Civilization. There's a website for the book, woundedtigris.com. Um, and all of my social media accounts are, are just my name, Leon McCarran. Um, and this uh, long distance hiking trail through the Kurdistan region of Iraq, it's called the Zagros Mountain Trail and is also. Um, zagrosmountaintrail.com and, and Instagram uh, at the zagros.mountaintrail so we'd we'd love to we're always welcoming of any guests who want to come from a great distance to see the mountains where we live we'll, we'll plug all those in the show notes and maybe one day we can hike alongside each other on the, on the trail that would be lovely I'd love that you can find the episode show notes and much more at travelwritingworld.com please remember to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and if you find the show valuable, please consider leaving a review or supporting the show with only a few dollars a month at travelwritingworld.com support.